Welcome back. It's your girl, Nina Daniels, and this is Models Diet, where I'll help you elevate your lifestyle in your diet, home, fashion, and everything in between. Let's get to it. Now it's time for It's All Here, where I share advice on how to elevate your lifestyle. This week, how to navigate life with cancer. For those of you who do not know, I am a cancer survivor. And a shout out to all of my cancer survivors. You know, I don't really talk about having cancer that much because I actually had cancer as a teenager. And I was only 16. I got diagnosed with cancer when I was 16, about a week after my sweet 16, after my cotillion. And it's really weird because I had been going back and forth to doctors for two years prior to my diagnosis. And I think the takeaway probably from this is going to be not so much that I had cancer. I know a lot of us either have survived cancer or know someone who has been affected, you know, with cancer or have had cancer or died from cancer. So it's not really about cancer per se, but it is about being on top of your doctors, being diligent and being proactive. I think that is what I got out of being a teenager with cancer because this was not necessarily my battle. It was more my parents' battle to fight to get me the proper diagnosis. So like I said, it took two years of going back and forth to doctors because One day I was sitting at the kitchen table and my mom, who's, I mean, I don't know how to say this, but nobody was coming in my house with like hickeys or babies because my mom was like the police. She used to check the garbage can and make sure that you got your period every month. This is my mother's very into your body, which you coming in. Oh, don't even dare come in with someone else's clothing or someone else's items from the, no you're taking them right back she knows like everything you own everything you have and if it's not something that she bought she doesn't want to see it so one day I'm sitting at the kitchen table and my mom is look, staring at my face staring at my neck and I'm sitting there thinking oh I know I hope I don't have hickey on my neck <laughs> which I didn't but boy the way she was looking at me I kind of thought mm, I did something wrong and I don't know what but then she comes up to me and she starts touching my neck and she's I think you have a lump on your throat and I'm like, I don't feel anything. She's like, do you feel, you know, do you feel weird? Did your throat hurt? I'm like, no, I, I didn't feel anything. So she's like touching it. But I couldn't, you can't even really see it if you're, if I'm just facing regular, you know. But if I lifted my neck up, you could see a lump under my neck. So my mom somehow with her x-ray psychovision <laughs> was able to see this lump and I mean, at the time, I didn't think much of it because it didn't hurt. You know, there was no pain. So when you're a teenager, when you're a kid, you don't really, I think at least for me, I equate pain to something being bad or terrible or being sick. If I don't feel it, how can you, you can't really be sick if you can't feel it. That's a teenager's mind. So my whole cancer journey started really two years prior to around 13, 14. My pediatrician sends me to the dentist and says, talk to your dentist, see if they pulled her tooth or if there's something from that. But I didn't have any teeth pulled. So my dentist said, no, it's not anything for me. So I went back and forth between the dentist 
my um, pediatrician. And then I got sent to a, a head, nose, and throat doctor in Manhattan. And when I went to, I think it was Dr. Hamburg was my doctor. I went to Dr. Hamburg and they did a needle, needle biopsy. And for those of you who do not know what a needle biopsy is, they take a big old needle, like one of them Fred Flintstone needles. They stick it in your throat. They stuck it directly in my throat. Well, I want to talk about pain. Oh, my, it felt like they were pulling my brains out through this needle. And they start pulling out the tissue, this hard tissue from this ball in my throat. And what they do is they go and test that tissue. I had that same procedure done three times. I had three needle biopsies in my throat. And every single time it came back benign. And I probably should tell you, I had oral cancer. It turned out that I had oral cancer. So they kept coming back benign. And my mother, it just didn't sit well with her because the lump in my throat just kept growing. And honestly, it didn't have an impact in my life on my life at all because I did not feel a thing. I didn't even feel a lump really unless you touched it. So I did not suffer. I did not have any pain at this point for the longest time. So my mother sends me back and forth. Dentist, pediatrician, um, head, nose, and throat doctor. We just keep going back and forth. Finally, I had my final needle biopsy. It was right before my sweet 16. And my mom says, I don't like this lump. It's just growing. I don't care if it doesn't hurt. My doctor, mom, the specialist did not want to remove the lump because I was only 15. And he said it, it wasn't bothering me. There was no reason to scar me and suffer from any type of nerve damage if I didn't have to. My mother did not agree. And my mother is five foot one, two, a very petite woman who decided she was not having it. <laughs> and if you ever met my mother, maybe one day you will meet her on this podcast, but she is not someone you want to mess with. And she ordered them. And that's exactly the only word I could use. She ordered them to have it removed. And they did. They finally set up a schedule and they were going to test the tissue. So I go into surgery. They, and at this point, like I said, I schedule this a week after my cotillion because I had been told from every other needle biopsy that my tumor was benign. And if you don't know what benign is, it means you do not have cancer. It's not a cancer. They aren't cancerous cells. You don't need to do anything to it. It's not going to kill you. So it's not a big deal. Then that's why the doctors and my mom went in circles about removing it or not removing it. So my mom insists, I have my sweet 16, this beautiful cotillion at a country club. They remove the tumor and they do testing on it. So I was due, I would say, let's say this surgery happened on a Thursday. And I wound up going into the procedure, no problem. They cut my throat, they took it out, and they said they were going to test it. They tested the, the tumor they told me that I would have to come back for a follow-up in two to three weeks. My parents got a call within 24 hours that we had to go into the doctor and sit with him and meet with him the following day. And those of you who ever had bad news, you probably realize that call 
when someone calls you, when a doctor calls you, when you're supposed to have a two to three week follow-up and you have to go in within 28 to 48 hours, it's normally not good. And I would say, you know, I was a teenager at the time. So I don't think I understood the gravity of what was going on. But when we got into that room with my doctor and my parents were sitting there and the look on their face, I will never forget, never, and I will die with this memory, I will never forget the look on their face when that doctor told them that the tumor was benign. And that's when, I don't know that I could say I was scared, but I was scared for them. They look traumatized, you know? They look so upset. I had never seen my parents with such a dead, blank look on their face. And honestly, Everything that was being said after that moment, I do not remember. It's a blur. It's like people's mouths are moving, but I don't hear anything at that point. We get out of there, and then my parents explain to me the gravity of what is happening and what's about to happen. So I'm from Long Island, New York, and I wound up being sent to a hospital, Stony Brook Hospital, not far from my home. Um, on Long Island, and I start treatment there, radiation. You know, I don't know if you go in for radiation, they have to make a... It's like when you go in to get braces, they make an imprint of your teeth, and so you can get, like, a teeth covering so that your teeth don't fall out from the radiation therapy. I wound up going there, and I, you know, I probably should ask my mom. I think I only have one round, maybe two rounds of radiation at Stony Brook. I can't remember, but I ran track, so my parents had a friends who also had a son with leukemia at the time. And what they told them was like, hey, you need to take her out of Stony Brook and move her to Memorial Sloan Kettering. Unfortunately, to the Mariano family, their, their son did not make it. He did not survive. And, and they attribute, us to not, attribute his death to not being moved to a better hospital sooner. So for those of you who don't know, Memorial Sloan Kettering is probably one of the best cancer hospitals in the world. And my family, my parents were fortunate enough to have the health insurance to be able to afford to send me to, you know, one of the world-renowned cancer hospitals. So I was able to go to Memorial Sloan. And when I went in there, I don't even know if he's still alive, but my doctor, Dr. Spiro, he saved my life. You gotta get back on that model's diet. So for me, it was more like I had this old man cancer. I mean, and I say old man cancer, I mean old man. People who smoke get oral cancer, who put stuff in their mouth. I was 16. I wasn't smoking. I was an athlete. I wasn't doing any of the things that people do to get oral cancer, if you know what I mean, (laughs) the things adults did. So I I don't know how the hell I got oral cancer. No one understands because it's not hereditary. No one in my family has ever had oral cancer except me. I'm an anomaly in more ways than one. And unfortunately, this was one of them too. In that hospital, I just felt, yes, I was sick, but in my mind, I wasn't sick enough in comparison to other kids. So it was really hard for me to accept that I was going through, I guess I didn't feel like I was going through cancer until I had my final surgery. So when I went in with Dr. Spiro, initially he told me that they were going to cut me from my ear to under my neck, all the way to the 
to under my chin. And then they're going to cut me from the top of my neck all the way down to my left breast. So I was going to have like a big old cross on my neck. And also when they cut that much of your tissue, you suffer from nerve damage and you suffer from muscle damage. And I was told that my face was going to be sunken in. Now, I don't know if you guys remember Robert Ebert. He had oral cancer. See, old men, old white man cancer. This is what I had. Remember, he was on the cover of a magazine and his throat, his face was caved in. That was how my face was supposed to look after my surgery, if it was successful. So I was supposed to be permanently disfigured from these surgeries at 16, which is rough, you know, I'm in high school, I'm in 10th grade, and that's not exactly, or 11th grade at that time. Not, It's not exactly what, you know, how you want to look in high school. You gotta get back on that model's diet. That model's diet. That model's diet. I go in for my surgery. It's, my, it's like my third or fourth surgery. My, last, my final one, my fourth, I think. Third or fourth. I go in. Lo and behold, I'm in surgery for about seven to nine hours. Come out screaming. Apparently, I don't even remember this, but apparently I was screaming in the recovery room to the point where my, they had to bring my mom in to calm me down because I'm just screaming coming out of anesthesia. And I don't know about you, and please go to my blog, ninadaniels.com, and let me know if you ever had surgery, how are you with anesthesia? Because I am horrendous, horrible. I wake up vomiting up black stuff. I'm screaming. I'm disoriented. I'm like a crazy person coming out of anesthesia. Let me know what your experiences are like. And also, let me know if you've ever had cancer. Are you a cancer survivor? What type of cancer did you have? What was your diagnosis? How? What was your treatment? How did you get over it? And yeah, just share. I would like to hear from you. Or if you even know someone who had cancer, please feel free to share at minadaniels.com. After this surgery... You know, my mom gets me, comes in, she calms me down. I finally am awake and there's a tube, a metal tube in my throat, not sewn, stapled into my throat. I look at my face. My face is swollen out. I mean, so swollen. But the doctor was really happy. Now, I looked crazy to me, but I did not know. My parents did not disclose to me until after how I was supposed to look. So I didn't even know I was supposed to be, you know, permanently disfigured. No one told me that. So when I came out, I was mortified because I looked crazy to me and everybody else was so happy because I only had one scar from my ear to under my chin versus having my entire lymph nodes and muscles tissue taken out and having my entire left side of my face caved in. So that is a long roundabout way of saying that's how I wound up having, you know, being diagnosed. This is how I, my treatment went from radiation, was changed from radiation to multiple surgeries. And after that, I wound up having just to follow up with my doctor every couple of months to every year, to every five years, to every 10 years. You gotta get back on that model's diet. Now, how did cancer impact my life? Like I said, I did not go through chemotherapy. You know, I did not have the impact of chemotherapy. 
But what I did have was an impact of severe muscle and tissue damage and nerve damage. I could not lift my left shoulder or my arm above my shoulder. I could not feel the left side of my face. I couldn't smile for almost three years. I could not, if I would drink something or eat something, it would fall out of the left side of my mouth because I had no control over that side of my mouth. If you see pictures of me during that time, which there are not many because I refused to take pictures at that time because I was so embarrassed, my smile would be completely different. It was completely crooked. I basically had to learn how to speak again because the left side of my tongue and the left side of my mouth was completely dead from nerve damage. So I would say it took me years to learn how to, I had to lift, learn how to lift my hand above my head, I had to go to physical therapy. Oral cancer is a tricky cancer because it kind of sneaks up on you and you really have to catch it before it's too late because although it may not kill you necessarily, it can definitely do damage to your face, to your body. It's, it's a really, it's a crazy cancer. And yes, obviously it does kill some people at the end of the day, but it's a really tricky cancer and it's a different kind of journey to recover from because I mean part of me feels so guilty or at the time I, I didn't feel like I had you know leukemia I didn't have something so severe but yet I had to learn to embrace the journey that I had to go through the in years of recovery of trying to put myself back together especially as, as a teenager in high school at 16 the last thing you want is to be eating lunch and your friends telling you, hey, get that food. It's falling out of the side of your mouth. It was like really gross. <laughs> it was so nasty. So yeah, I went from being this princess at this cotillion to looking like a crazy person and looking just really, yeah, I looked like the elephant man. It was really, for me, it was really bad. And it was really embarrassing. And it was really tough because my parents didn't tell anyone that I had cancer. No one knew. None of my friends, none of my teachers, no one knew what I was going through. So I was basically suffering alone. You know, my, my parents aren't the kind of people who want to elicit empathy or, you know, make you feel like you need sympathy. They, they're just not like that. It's, you know what, you have this thing, you're going to beat this thing, but you got to keep moving on with life, which in a way I think helped me because I didn't have time to, to wallow or worry or think, I don't know if I'm going to beat this. I just had to have these surgeries. And, and no one understood how I was going, coming into school, missing school, coming to school, leaving school. No one understood why I was missing so much school. Uh, my teachers were like, especially my English teacher was really pissed off that, you know, my work was suffering, but they didn't share with anyone. And then eventually my teacher said something really racist to me <laughs> about one of my papers. And I just blurred out in, can in class. I have cancer. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know why, like I said that, but it just, I just blurted it out. And she, her face looked like it was going to crack because she had no idea. And like the, whatever typos, whatever I did with this paper, I didn't care. I barely had time to write it. And that's not my fault. It's not her fault. It was really like my parents didn't communicate with her by the same token. But what she said to me was had nothing to do with the typos. It was like something really racist. I forgot what she said, but something like, maybe you speak like this at home, but you don't bring your vernacular into my classroom. What? It wasn't a vernacular thing. I was just doing a rush. I mean, it was a sloppy job. I will say that. But it was more of a typo type thing, not a vernacular or grammatical type of 
issue. So, of course, my short mama <laughs> marched up there and read her the riot act, and the woman wound up crying in the office <laughs> with the principal. It was like, uh, that's how it goes with my mother when you're dealing with her. But th- I think that woman earned it at that time. So, yeah, I didn't really have a support group. It was something that, you know, my friends didn't know I had cancer until year, until much, until it was all over, until I was getting better. And it was crazy. I was saying to you before, when I got out of that surgery, my doctor was so excited. And I was a case study. So people would come into my room. There'd be like 10 doctors coming in and talking about my case because I was so young with oral cancer. And when I got out of that surgery, my doctor was cold, by the way. I thought that he was the devil. I was afraid of him. He never smiled. He never cracked jokes. He was just so cold. But when he came, when I came out of that surgery, he came to talk to me about my diagnosis. He was smiling, like, you're going to be okay. You know, it's much better than we thought. We didn't have to disfigure you. We didn't have to take out all this. I mean, he was ecstatic. And I'll never forget when I got into Brown, I had to go see him right before I was going to school. And this man was so happy. He hugged me. He was like, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, who are you? Because I was deathly afraid of you when, I mean, he just had no emotion, none whatsoever during my entire treatment with him. What did I have to change about my lifestyle with having oral cancer? Like I said, Oral cancer is a weird cancer. I didn't really know. I didn't feel any pain at the time that I had it. But it was after, it was a recovery where I had to change a lot. I could not play the cello for quite some time. I could not smile. I could not speak clearly. I could not eat properly. I could not drink without things falling out of my mouth for years. Not months, but years. And when you want to be an actress or a speaker for a living, like the fact that I'm even doing this podcast with you is a blessing and a dream. And I can't even believe that it's happening because technically I shouldn't even be able to speak to you right now. I don't think anyone thought that I would be able to do this ever again. So it is, I feel extraordinarily blessed to be able to follow my dreams of being able to be a comedian and speak and use my voice for a living. You gotta get back on that model's diet. That model's diet. That model's diet. My mom saved my life because if it wasn't for her and her psycho crazy, which right now doesn't seem so psycho or crazy anymore, right? That she was really adamant. I think you really have to be proactive. You really have to be proactive about your health. This is with anything whether it's a black woman having a baby or going through cancer, I think a lot of times our, we are not diagnosed properly. I think that our diagnoses are overlooked. And I think that, you know, you, your parents or your advocate, whether it be yourself or someone else, will just put their foot down and say, no, I'm not going to accept this. And I need you to take action. And thank God my mom did, because with oral cancer, if you don't catch it, you can die from it because it's very, you don't feel pain from it until it's too late. So the fact that my mom, you know, if anything, I appreciate her and I'm grateful to her for being the gangster that she is and really putting her foot down and saying, no, I want this out of my child's um, body. She said, it's not natural. And if it was, and if it was okay, it wouldn't be there. And she didn't know why it was there. And I think I left out that when they took out the tumor and once they did the testing on it, 
they realized that the malignancy actually was not in the tissue, in the tumor. And the tumor wound up coming out like a softball. It was huge. But the malignancy was around, in the tissue, behind the tumor. So had they not taken it out, they would not have found the malignancy in for years. Because they kept doing a needle biopsy in the tissue, in the tumor, where what they really needed to do was take it out and look at the tissue behind the tumor. Yep. Thanks, mom. Appreciate you. (laughs) And those are my takeaways. Be proactive about your health. Go ahead and get your screenings, breast cancer. Go get all those screenings that you need to get at the proper age so that you can take care of yourself, whether it be your colon, whether it be your breast, whether it be your lungs, whatever it is. Take care of that stuff because it's really important. You gotta get back on that model's diet. That model's diet. That model's diet. Moving on, it's model's diet, where I break down some of the most unique and hottest diets trending right now. Today, I am breaking down my own cancer diet. What did my diet consist of? Now, I had cancer when I was 16, so... I did not really become proactive with dieting until after I was trying to recover from cancer. So so I would say 16 was the first time I stopped eating dairy. I did not eat dairy. I wound up switching from dairy to having, at the time, I want to say I had, I can't remember what kind of milk I was drinking. I don't know if it was soy milk or maybe oat milk at that time. But I definitely was not drinking cow's milk. And I eliminated all red meat. So my diet really consisted of, and it it has evolved over the years, but at that time, like right after I had cancer and then going into college, I would say, and even coming out of college, that's when I started to get really gangster about my diet. I started drinking green juices. I started believing juicing. I started to do fast. I, I started fasting. I started doing like raw diets, eating mostly raw fruits and vegetables. And I try to eat as much from the earth as possible and try to eliminate as many processed foods as humanly possible. And at first it was really challenging. It was really difficult. But, you know, (laughs) I think when you go through an experience of having cancer, that experience is so much worse that changing your dieting and missing a few things is pretty much okay. And were there certain foods I missed? Absolutely. You know, I miss macaroni and cheese. I miss like corn pudding. I miss like desserts because I didn't really eat sweets like that. I switched over to mostly gluten-free diet. And I did actually have some really good raw desserts like cheesecakes. And I had some gluten-free cake and pies, which I started to really find some really good things like baby cakes in LA, which was in New York City. I started having, I think baby cakes started in New York City. I started eating baby cakes, vegan donuts, years and years ago when I was going through this. And let me tell you, they saved my life because I could not live without eating. I love donuts and I cannot eat, live without eating donuts. And thank goodness, baby cakes was like my first vegan alternative gluten-free donut where I can get my fix of having something. But more importantly, I was always looking, I've always been someone looking to find a healthier, better way of eating. And I think it's a big reason why we're doing this podcast and why I'm talking to you now is because going from a very healthy diet 
to going to a sad diet and then going back to a healthy diet, I have to tell you, nothing beats a healthy diet or lifestyle. You realize how important it is when you don't have it. And I don't miss, I'm not missing any of the other stuff anymore. Just the energy you get from eating from the earth, the energy you get from having fresh fruit and vegetables. It's just so energized. I, I think I, I'm, love the high of being like light and being able to move and mobile. That is what really keeps me in that lifestyle. And that's why I love, love, love that lifestyle. Yeah, this wraps it up for us. Don't forget to check out my blog, ninadaniels.com and follow me on my Instagram at the Nina Daniels and show me some love by subscribing, rating and reviewing on Apple. See you next time. Cello, G-string unit. We out. Tall, short, skinny, fat Gigi, Giselle, Miranda, Chanel